I invite you into the spirit of prayer. Spirit of life giving love and love giving life. Spirit of a gray, late autumn, early winter kind of morning when the nights have gotten almost as long as they can possibly get and the days as short. We gather here in our communal home in the best room in the house so that we might be touched and moved by the spirit of community, by the spirit of those saints who have gone before us, who have been a part of this house, the saints who are here with us today, the saints who are out in the world, past, present, and yet to come, who hold up for us the kinds of ideals and the commitment to those ideals that allow for transformation in hearts and homes and communities and even in the world. May we each be open to be lit on fire by those who have burned the juices of their life so that we might walk together in the light. Let us hold this moment together in quiet. Amen. The first reading is from the lyrics of a song that some of you may remember by Donovan Leach, Happiness Runs. Happiness runs in a circular motion. Thought is like a little boat upon the sea. Everybody is a part of everything anyway. You can have anything if you let yourself be. Happiness runs, happiness runs, happiness runs, happiness runs. The second reading is from the poem, So Much Happiness, by Naomi Shihab Nye from her book, Words Under the Words. It is difficult to know what to do with so much happiness. With sadness, there is something to rub against, a wound to tend with lotion and cloth. When the world falls in around you, you have pieces to pick up, something to hold in your hands, like ticket stubs or change. But happiness floats. It doesn't need you to hold it down. It doesn't need anything. Happiness lands on the roof of the next house singing and disappears when it wants to. You are happy either way. Since there is no place large enough to contain so much happiness, you shrug, you raise your hands, and it flows out of you into everything you touch. You are not responsible. You take no credit, as the night sky takes no credit for the moon, but continues to hold it and share it, and in that way, be known. Our final and ancient reading is a quote from the Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu who said, seek not happiness too greedily and be not fearful of happiness.
Today marks the second Sunday of Advent on the Christian calendar. This is the second of the four Sundays preceding Christmas. For some of you, that might mean something. For others of you, it might not mean much at all. For some of you, it might invoke a sense of understanding or perhaps of curiosity. For others, it might invoke a response more like, Oy vey, Christmas again. So much busyness, so much fuss. However you might enter into this time of reflection and contemplation here this morning, I hope you find yourself engaged by this consideration of the season. And when it comes time to leave here this morning, that you'll be able to take more out with you than you came in with. The Christian church really was very smart in placing the celebration of the birth of its Savior to coincide with the winter solstice. Many scholars agree that the historical figure of Jesus was actually born during the summer. So why the switcheroo on the calendar? I suspect it wasn't just to appropriate the energy of the pagan celebration of the solstice, although admittedly the church did do an awful lot of that and they did it very effectively. But I think that the the reason for the date of Christmas was not only political, but that it was also truly religious. I suspect that they chose that calendar date because the church recognized that some very basic human needs were met within the themes of the solstice celebrations. I suspect they realized that those same needs might also be met by their faithful in celebrating the birth of the Savior at the same time of year. In the midst of the very darkest night of the year, the sun begins its return to the northern hemisphere, bringing with it hope for new life. Even in the midst of the darkness of a world filled with sin, the Prince of Peace and Light is born to bring hope through the promise of redemption. There's a lot of power that comes from placing hope at the center of darkness and despair. Every one of us here knows something about darkness and despair, and every one of us here knows something about the need for hope. I'm not saying that either of these two religious holidays has more validity than the other. I am saying that they both, in some very similar ways, reach into hearts and souls, reach into the darkness of our our particularly human experience of self-awareness and the separation brought about by that self-awareness. I'm saying that these holidays, this holiday season, respond to those needs with light, a light that is capable of lifting spirits, capable of bearing hope, capable of providing worth and meaning. Of course, these aren't the only holidays of this season that seek to provide such a balm over all the world, that seek to provide light. The Indian celebration of Diwali does the same, as does the Jewish celebration of Hanukkah, as does the African-American observance of Kwanzaa. Each of these, and others too, bring light into the darkness, offer hope in place of despair, ascribe meaning to vanquish uncertainty. Winter holidays have been on the job for a very long time. So it's interesting to note how in our consumerist commercial latter-day version of culture, it's interesting to observe how we have reshaped the winter holidays to meet these same basic needs for us, these same basic needs that seem to express themselves most clearly during the coldest, darkest, and most barren season of the year. For starters, we have an awful lot of tinsel and flashing lights around. There's a lot of, it doesn't matter what you have, 
here's what you need. There's a lot of that going around as well. And then there's a lot of, you deserve to be happy. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever you haven't done, you deserve to be happy. And by the way, this product here that I happen to be selling, guaranteed to make you happy. There's a lot of that. Happiness, joy and happiness are two of the major themes of this season. But what is happiness? How does one go about acquiring happiness? Happiness happens to be the theme that our covenant groups and covenant group leaders and our Harvest the Power classes are exploring during this holiday month. It seems like it might be a good focus as well for all of us to consider during this season of long dark nights when our basic human need for hope and meaning and light speaks to us in ways that need to be addressed and that will be addressed either intentionally by ourselves or by the proxy biddings of a culture that would have us buy whatever it might be selling. Happiness. What a loaded word. Our country was founded upon the the principle that we hold inalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life and liberty are easy to understand, right? But what in the world were the founding fathers thinking about when they added the pursuit of happiness? Did they think that we were entitled to whatever it was that we thought might make us happy? That could account for an awful lot of the greed that we see around us. It might account for the greed that if we are being honest with ourselves, we probably have to admit in participating in at least some of the time. It could also account for how we much too often encourage our children towards greedy behaviors by continually giving them things and giving them things, and giving them more things. I don't think that that's what the Founding Fathers had in mind. Philosopher Felix Adler spoke of happiness, saying, The purpose of life is not happiness, but worthiness. Happiness may come as an accessory, he said. We dare never make it the end. I'm hoping this is more of what Franklin and Adams and Jefferson and company were thinking of, That happiness is not an end, but that it might be a result of following a path, a path built upon the practice of values, a path leading towards some sort of worthiness. A related aside here that I I have to say out, out loud is so often for so many of us when someone asks, how are you? We respond, oh, I'm good, thanks. In truth, grammatically, we should of course be saying, I'm well. In truth, theologically, what we should be saying is, I'm well. We can try to do good or even hope we do good, but it's really not up to any of us to determine our own goodness. We can leave that up to others should they desire to determine if we have achieved that mark or not. How can we fail with the death of Nelson Mandela to think there was a man who did good? In the same way, I don't think we do well to declare our own worthiness. We can strive to be worthy, but it's really one of those aspirations that we have to keep out in front of ourselves. Being worthy of the gift of life today cannot rely upon our past successes. It's sort of like we can't be contented with yesterday's glories. Worthiness is always a goal, Felix Adler suggests. Happiness never can be. Happiness runs in a circular motion. How many of you are familiar with that song by Donovan? 
a few. The, the melody is, is, is very sweet. Happiness runs in a circular motion. Thought is like a little boat upon the sea. Everybody is a part of everything anyway. You can have anything if you let yourself be. Happiness runs, happiness runs. Happiness runs, happiness runs. So, I'll bet that when Donovan wrote and recorded those words, he never imagined that anyone would necessarily exegete them in a sermon. But it's so packed with theological implications that I feel compelled to exegete it, to unpack it for you. I'm not convinced by all of the theology that the song expresses. There are a couple of lines that I find quite theologically compelling, though. First, that indeed, happiness runs in a circular motion. And second is that everybody is a part of everything anyway. I'll come back to those two lines. But before I do, I feel compelled to challenge the theology in a couple of the other lines. While thought may well be like a little boat upon the sea, the notion of thought being there drifting about might well provide us with a perspective on thought, but it doesn't particularly encourage our intentions. It merely invites us to leave our thoughts quite adrift. Somehow for me, being religious means being intentional. It means having focused intentions, focused thoughts. And the other line that gives me pause, you can have anything if you let yourself be, leaves me wanting because it seems to be about things, about wanting things and not about wanting values. We've, we've got enough things. We don't need more things. Beyond food and clothing and shelter, what we need are values. We need values to guide us. We don't glean our values by drifting aimlessly upon the sea, but by identifying the ideals and the principles that might give our lives meaning, that might lay out for us a path towards worthiness. Love and compassion, integrity, honesty, morality, these are all values that we can aspire to. I don't think we can bring them into our lives, though, simply by letting ourselves be. Once we have identified the values that we want to use as our life guides, it takes hard work and discipline to become their adherents, to integrate them into our own ways of being. I guess that means that if we hope to find ourselves worthy, and perhaps with its byproduct of happiness, we're going to have to work for it. Nobody can give us our principles. Our mentors and teachers can show us principles. They can exemplify them for us. But in the end, if we are going to be principled, we're going to have to get there the old-fashioned way. We're going to have to work for it. And the same is true for happiness. One cannot be a passive recipient of happiness. If we are going to be happy, we will have to earn it by aiming for something that's more lofty than happiness itself. Before going ahead any further, I want to go back, though, to the two lines of the song that I do find quite theologically credible. First, that happiness runs in a circular motion. I think that Donovan nailed it. Like riding a bicycle, happiness requires movement. It can't be kept pent up. It can't be stored like a treasure to be used at some later time. Happiness is something that moves. It floats. Not only does it not need us to hold it down, but we are incapable of holding it down, no matter how hard we might try. Greed or the acquisition of things can never lead us to happiness. Things might amuse us. They might make us more physically comfortable. Things can give us power 
Things can do all kinds of things for us, but things, as long as we hold on to them, can't make us worthy or happy. Now, if we put things in motion, say, by giving them away, then maybe we're on to something more meaningful, something more valuable, something more worthy. The motion Donovan talks about is a circular motion. It's a motion that goes out and comes back in. Circular motion, motion suggests that happiness can really only exist within the context of relationship. The kind of relationship that might yield happiness would, first of all, require that it be of right relationship. And right relationship is about giving and receiving, yes, but it, it's also about shared power. It's about mutual respect and about earnest accountability. Such right relationships could be in all kinds of concentric circles in our lives. They could be with those in our households or in our congregation or in our community. Those right relationships could be with people that we know and certainly with people we don't know all around the planet, the planet itself and with all of nature. Happiness runs in a circular motion, and the wider our circles of right relationships are, the greater are our chances of giving and receiving worthiness, and perhaps it's byproduct of happiness. Everybody is a part of everything anyway. This verse sounds an awful lot, doesn't it? Sounds an awful lot like our seventh principle, that we affirm and promote the interdependent web of existence of which we are a part. When we accept the reality that none of us is separate, that we are even a good bit closer to one another than are a collection of pilgrims on a starship circling through space, when we accept that we are a part of one larger whole, when we step through our self-consciousness, willing to trust our being within the fabric of that interdependent web of which we are a part, I have to think that some very serious happiness and joy might be redeemed by such faith, by such reaching, by such effort. Nelson Mandela, a truly great human being of our age, died this week. The whole world has stopped to look and take note of his passing. What made Nelson Mandela so great? It is surely not that he set out to make himself happy. He set out instead to lead his people to freedom. He was thrown into prison for that. And all the while he was in prison, he continued to reach out beyond his cell, beyond himself, into that interdependent web. While he was in prison, he wove and rewove the parts of the web that he was able to reach out and touch on behalf of his people of South Africa. And more, he was reweaving the web for all people in the world. Nelson had every reason in the world to be angry and spiteful, but instead he kept his eye on the principles of equality and freedom. He got out of prison, was elected president, and then redeemed everything that he had been through and everything that he stood for by inaugurating the incredible reconciliation process that followed the long and horrible reign of apartheid in his country. The reconciliation hearings moved South Africa towards being a nation of one people, and those hearings also moved people all around the world a good bit closer towards being the kind of humanity that we are capable of becoming. These last few days, we've seen and heard Nelson Mandela eulogized in the media. And though the world truly grieves his passing, I think mostly we're just so grateful for the incredible life that was his. 
the life that provided the world with so much worth and hope. I'll tell you what's touched me most deeply in these last couple of days. It's the footage and, and the still shots of Nelson surrounded by his children and his grandchildren, sometimes by his neighbors or travelers and their children and grandchildren. Have you seen those? In each of those pictures, Nelson, the, the Nelson Mandela that I see is the most radiantly joyful human being that I've ever witnessed. He's beaming. He's beaming with joy. Happiness runs in a circular motion. Everybody is a part of everything anyway. So this is Advent on the Christian calendar. It's nearly the winter solstice within the cycle of the year. This season bids us to enter into its darkness. It bids us to go in with a, a confidence, with a faith in spirit, a faith in hope, a faith in meaning and in the possibility of joy. The glitz is out there too. It's there tempting us with the fear that we're just not enough, the fear that we're too small, too separated to find and to make the deep meaning and connections that will carry us through to the greater light and to the greater joy. There's a long history of the winter holidays that tells us otherwise, that tells us we are enough. And in that history, there are some amazing individuals who have gone before us. The traditions and these saints all show us that we are enough, that we can reach through whatever circumstances we might find ourselves in, whatever those circumstances might be, in order to connect deeply to the people and to the world around us. And so may we be ever grateful for this gift of life that has been given to us. And in our gratitude, may we be of worthy service to it. And in our service, may we find ourselves upon our path of moving intentionally and determinedly through the labyrinth of life towards fulfillment, towards worthiness, towards joy. And so may the spirit of this season be with you. Amen. We extinguish the flame of our chalice, but not the light of our truth, the warmth of our community, or the fire of our commitment, or the possibilities of joy that lie before us. The spirit of these we carry with us in our hearts and in the work of our hands until we are together again. And so may the prayers of our hearts and the songs of our lips shared in this holy hour of worship be with us now and in our days to come. As we extinguish our chalice, this worship comes to an end and our service begins. Blessed be and amen.